one of the other ones online. Um, Paul wrote this letter from a prison cell. He'd been in prison for a little while. Um, he actually probably maybe had visited this church, but he did not plant it. Um, he was approached by the fellow who did plant this church, and he um, wrote this letter to address some problems that had arisen there. Um, the, the problems specifically were like false teaching, right? And the false teaching was all related to um, a handful of things. Um, Colossa had like, a, had like universities, and they had like a bunch of mystery religions that were popular there. And there was a large Jewish population, and there were all these things that were filtering into the church that were sort of skewing their teaching off. And and originally, when I wrote these sermons, these two, like the, these, this section of the text, like addresses the problem straightforward. And and originally, I kind of got into the history and the and and in the end, like I, I decided that we would talk about how this relates to you and what you're gonna what you should do with it. So so that's kind of the direction we're going at with it. Um, the previous passages, actually, as we, as we shift into this, um, Paul kind of entered this section, and he said, listen, um, don't let folks who are really clever and, and, and you know, talk a good game, don't let them divert you, right? Don't let them trick you into going somewhere you don't want to go. Um, he actually, the word he uses is don't let them take you away like plunder, you know, like captives, and, you know, like they, they've won something away from God's kingdom. Um, and then he goes on, and last week we looked at, Paul like presents this large section on who you are in Jesus, right? Like, what does it mean to be a person who's made new in Christ? And I'm going to read the last section, and we're going to shift into the next one um, here. And and I, I, uh, because I, I, it all connects, and it's odd to me to like lump a section of text out. Like, it it leads to outer context. Does that make sense? Um, And I, I'm a big believer in context. so starting in 13, if you're following along, this is Colossians 2:13. When you were dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your uh, sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. I'm going to hit pause here. Um, so Jesus Christ, God himself, steps into this world. He is like tortured to death and crucified, and that death he suffers, he takes punishment for our sins. So all of us who have sinned, and that's all of us, right? Like, Jesus gets punished for that. And when that happens, God cancels the written code. Now, the written code, if you go into the Old Testament, there are hundreds and hundreds of regulations about how you do everything. Even, like, if you came to temple... Like, if you came to the temple to worship God, there were certain things you weren't allowed to have done. Like, if you touch a dead animal, right, like, you're walking down the road and there's a, you know, dead cat there or whatever, and you kick it off to the side. You've touched that dead animal, you can't go directly to the temple. Because, you know, God wants you to be clean, like, and if you're going to handle dead animals, it's kind of gross, right? And, like, so you have to be ritually clean in order to be in God's presence. And there were all of these things that they were supposed to do to remain ritually clean. And, and like, it was just a lot of work. Right? Um, and it's a lot of work beyond, like, being a lot of work. It runs contrary to our nature. How many of you guys are good at following rules? If I gave you a thousand different rules that you need to maintain these every day in order to be right before God, I, I don't know about you guys, I'd be in trouble about three minutes into the day. I'd probably screw them up on the way into reading them. Um, and actually, it's not even just things you have to do it's thing, or things you can't do. It's also things you have to do. So it's omission and commission. It's all of this work. And what God does is when Christ dies for our sins, 
He takes this code that we can never follow because of our sin, and he tosses it. He says, all right, that's off. It's canceled, right? Um, and, and parts of it are gone forever, and parts of it stand as guidelines for following God, right? Um, if I'm going to have a relationship with my wife, and she's not in here right now, so I can say anything I want, um, we have certain agreements that are in place, right? Like, I, I don't date other women. You know, it's not just this part that prevents it. It's every, you know, it's our agreement. I choose not to because I, because I love my wife. Well, the rules then become, if you're going to be right before God, this is how your relationship works. So don't take God's name in vain. So I don't tell people, God told me that you all have to give me a million dollars or, you know, he's going to be mad at you. That's taking God's name in vain. It would tick him off, right? Um, and so God has canceled that written code um, that stood opposed to us. Um, he took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, um, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So then here we pick up our new section here. And before we get there, Jess and I are on a diet right now. Anybody else dieting? I <laughs> like the most athletic person I know, you know, like, yeah, really? Anybody should be on a diet? This is the next question. I, I, uh, it, it <laughs> Jeremy, um, it, it blows my mind. Um, I, I watch TV and I watch commercials and I go online. How many diet and fitness things there are out there, right? Um, and, and, you know, you, you stay up late at night. If you turn on, you get the infomercials and they'll tell you this new abdominal thing. You know, and, and if you use this for two short months, it, it, it'll make you thin and it'll make you look like Brad Pitt or whatever, you know, and, and or I don't know. I, anyway, um, <laughs> but but, you know, the, this this great presentation, hey, if you just buy this product and do it, you'll be thin. Right. How many of those work? Like none, right? <laughs> pretty much absolutely none. My, my favorite was, uh, like, there's that abdominal lounger. It's basically a lounge chair that folds you in half. You know, <laughs> I could have been doing that at the pool the whole time. You know, it, it, obviously it wasn't going to work, right? Like, it just it, it isn't going to work. And, and, but, like, there are people out there all the time that are looking to sell, if you do these things, you'll be thin and great, right? Or, um, you know, if you drink eight of these shakes a day, and they're only $42 a piece, so it's great, you know, then you'll and and they present this great argument as to why their product will work. You know, and they show you the the quote unquote scientific like explanation, like with the muscles and you know our our ab lounger lets you use it for two minutes a day and it may, you know and, and obviously it's not going to work, right? Um, but they present a good case, and because it's what folks want to hear, what do they do? They buy it, right? With as much money as people spend on all that junk, it's. Um, it's a wonder that, that everybody isn't thin. Um, this, this diet that we're doing, I, uh, I, I, bought a, I bought a collection of books and I started reading them. And it, you know, this great secret, and the great secret was don't eat junk food, eat vegetables. You know, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's it? You know, and, and ultimately, like, all I had to do was not do that. I kind of knew it already, right? And, and, but, like, like there, there's always someone out there that's going to give you the easy way out. Right. And what we're going to look at with Colossae, with this church is they've been presented with an with a, a set of rules to live by, to be right before God. Right. And there are folks out there that will do that for you. They will come to you and they will tell you. I, I listened to a sermon this week where this is a very large church. 
And, and the pastor got up and he said, if you are not giving God your 10%, he will not bless you. I believe in giving. Don't hear me say I don't. But, but he said, you know, everything that you don't give, God curses. And if you don't do it, you can't go to heaven. And it was all this stuff. And you listen to it. It's like, well, I notice you're not quoting the Bible there. Because, because he couldn't. Um, because they, he was trying to talk folks into believing that they could buy their way into heaven. Or buy God's blessing for them. You know, like, you'll have a better car if, you know, well, no, you know, you might still have a crummy car, right? Like, like that's not really how God works. We don't buy things from God. He doesn't need our money, right? Um, but, but what was going on with the church is they, they were getting this, this sales pitch, this very clever sales pitch, this turn this way and you'll get what you want. And so Paul transitions. He says, listen, this is who you are in Christ. You're a new creation. The old written code is gone. You know, Christ is the thing, like, is the tradition that we've received. He is, like, this, this um, way of life that we have to live. And, and that's what makes us sinless is Christ, right? And so as we transition here, Paul says, therefore no, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Now, what he's talking about here. It was probably the case, and I wasn't going to get into this in depth, that, that there was a heavy Jewish influence. It was probably a Jewish Gnostic cult, is what it's called, um, that had infiltrated, had become involved in this church. And they were convincing people, hey, there are ways to be close to God, and part of it is you need to follow these regulations. These festivals, if you don't observe them properly, you're hosed, right? God doesn't love you anymore if you stop observing these festivals, right? Or if you eat these food, God's going to stop loving you. Or if you do, so you need to obey these rules perfectly. And if you obey these rules perfectly, you'll be right before God. Um, I've seen people do this with fasting, but I've done this like incorrectly earlier, you know, when I was uneducated and dumber, um, where I encourage people to fast to deal with sin problems in their life. And, and it, it, I believe in fasting, but it doesn't work. Like you can't just say, oh, I'm going to fast and then I'll be, you know, I'll get rid of this sin in my life. Because fasting in itself is just an observation. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Don't let anybody step into your life, look at how you eat, or which holidays you observe, and judge you for it. Right? I'm going to, quick disclaimer, this is not related. Like, we, God calls us to worship, right? To gather corporately in worship. He does. Um, does it mean God stops loving us? No. But um, C.S. Lewis did a great illustration with a fellow who said, well, I don't need to go to church because I'm still a believer. And Lewis is talking to him, and while they're talking, he reaches into the fire and pulls a coal out. Anybody have a wood burner or, or burn you know, stuff on the grill? And you get the, the one coal that comes out. What's it look like? Red hot. And he puts it on the hearth, and they start talking. About 15 minutes later, he says, what does that coal look like now? Well, it's gotten cold. Well, if I throw it back in the fire, what's going to happen? Well, it'll get hot again. We gather corporately because we share Christ together, right? It keeps us hot for him. It keeps us on fire for him. It keeps us alive in our spirituality. It doesn't earn our way to heaven. We don't check boxes off. Folks may look down on you for not showing up on Sunday morning, but it doesn't make you not saved. It can lead to spiritual like coldness and death, but it doesn't make God not love you. Make sense? Um, so we're going to keep going here. He says, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, the food and drink and the festivals and everything else that they celebrated in the Old Testament, all of that stuff pointed forward to Jesus, right? If you sit down with the Old Testament, I think that's the next series we're going to do. We're going to look at some of the 
ceremonies and how they talk about Jesus before he's ever born. But if you go through the Old Testament, the whole purpose of the Old Testament is to point forward to Jesus and to tell us about Jesus. So when they were celebrating those ceremonies and those obeying these food laws and everything else, what they were doing is they were worshiping Christ before he was even born, right? And Paul says, listen, food, um, festivals, everything, they're a mere shadow of what was to come. And the substance belongs to Jesus. So when Jesus shows up, all that stuff, it kind of goes away. It goes away in favor of the real thing, right? Um, anybody ever watch an ad for something that looks so great that when you got it, you wanted to go back and look at the ad some more? Of course not. You celebrate the new thing you have, right? You enjoy the new thing you have. You ignore the ad then. You don't need to be, you know, told about the product anymore. You've got it, right? Um, what Paul is talking about, God set all this stuff up to predict Christ, and we obeyed it to learn about Christ. But now that Christ is here and now that we can be in Christ, we don't need to go back and do this old stuff. These laws, these rules, they're like the difference between a shadow and substance. Abby uh, loves shadow puppets. I don't know, maybe every little girl or little kid loves this, but when we put her to bed at night, if the lamp in the corner is on, it throws a shadow. And so we have to sit and do dinosaurs and dogs and bunnies and um, and everything else before she goes to bed at night, right? Like, all right, let's, you know, the dinosaur's eating the bunny. Let's go to sleep now, you know. Um, <laughs> but the shadows on the wall, they're not real dinosaurs, right? They're not real bunnies. They're not real puppies. They're, they're shadows. The real thing is what's projecting the shadow. Christ is the real thing. Christ is the real substantial thing that God gives us. Rules and regulations, the guidelines, the holidays, the everything are not the real thing. The real thing is Jesus himself. I love Christmas and I love Easter, um, but I love them because they point to Christ, not because they save me, not because they draw me closer to God, but because they point to my Savior, which is what really matters. I love communion. I love taking communion. I love celebrating communion. I don't like serving communion, but that's a whole other conversation because I mess it up every time I do it. Um, but we celebrate communion not because it is salvation, but because it points to the salvation we have in Christ. Um, so Paul says, listen, all of these things that these teachers are pushing you to do, they won't save you. They won't. Christ is what we're looking at. So he goes on. Let no one, or let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen uh, excuse me, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Now, Paul goes from let no one to he. So he's talking about one guy in particular, right? And so he transitions, he says, listen, the real thing. So don't let anybody steal the prize from you. Well, what's the prize? The prize that you and I have in Christ is, first off, salvation, right? And secondly, it's freedom. We think about freedom the wrong way in our country. I, like, let me say that differently. <laughs> Be careful here. Um, political freedom is doing what you want to do, right? Freedom in Christ is not doing whatever you want. Freedom in Christ is freedom from enslavement to sin. Does that make sense? If I come along and I, and I tell someone, you know, I know you're poor right now, but I'm going to give you freedom. I've got good news. It's freedom. Is that freedom, like if I leave you poor, you're, you're, you know, it's not that good a news, right? 
Like, it, it gives you something better. So if I'm a slave to sin, like, and I know, like, like, there are people here, there are people in our community, there are people all around us who are enslaved to sin. They become enslaved to things like alcohol or pornography or, or um, gossip or anger or bitterness or self-interest. Like, they become conceited. Like, all of these things are sins that we can become um, enslaved to and that can own us. And you think, man, I want to stop doing this, but five minutes later, you're back doing it, Right? It's a horrible thing to be a slave to sin. There is no song and dance you are ever going to do to get away from sin, right? There is none. I, I believe in fasting. There was a time in my life when I was crushed by my enslavement to sin. And, and I had a guy who came along to me and he said, you know, he, he started talking to me about my sin and I became wholly broken by it. And he said, you know, you need to fast and seek a relationship with God. That's what you need to do. And so I fasted. And I fasted, and I fasted, and I fasted. And you know what? It worked. But it wasn't the fasting. It was Jesus that saved me. The fasting was me pursuing him and me doing outward stuff to, like, ensure a relationship. But I thought, well, the fasting worked. So I would talk to guys. I talked to a guy, you know, who was, um, had a pornography addiction who was ruining his marriage and his life and everything else. And I said to him, well, you need to fast. And he did. And he's like, well, it's just not working. The fact of the matter is, it's doing a ceremony, it's doing an observation, and not pursuing Christ. If you have sin in your life, if you have wickedness, if you're a slave to anything, anger, um, bitterness, like anything that is a sin and, and thing that is enslaving you, that owns you, intimacy with Christ is the way out. And that's what Paul is like setting up here. He says, listen, don't let folks judge you because you're not doing the ceremonies right. Don't let them. It's not going to get you anywhere. Um, don't let folks judge you. Don't because you, you're not like worship. You're, you're not doing Christmas right. You're not doing Easter right. You're not doing these things right. Um, don't let them steal the prize from you. What is the prize? Well, the prize is salvation and freedom, right? Like if I can be free from my sin, um, and I have that freedom through intimacy with Christ, and somebody gives me all these rules to be intimate with Christ that have nothing to do with being intimate with Christ. I'm now a slave to that new set of rules. Does that make sense? There are folks who will tell you, if you do not do these things in, relation to, in relationship to God, you cannot be right with Christ. You cannot be intimate with Christ. And the reality is that like, like intimacy with Christ begins with faith. Um, it begins with faith and a desire to, like be, you know, to be one and right with God again. Um, anybody ever have a hamster? Really? <laughs> you, you take that hamster, and what, what's the primary hamster exercise? The wheel. The, the hamster jumps on the wheel and it runs. And if you've ever had a hamster in your room at night, you'll know it's the worst pet in the world <laughs> because it runs on the wheel. That's why Montanans shoot them in their cornfield or wheat fields. Um, <laughs> those are hamsters, right? Um, <laughs> but that hamster, it's running, it's running, it's running, it's running. Where's it going? Nowhere. If you are trying to find intimacy with God and defeat sin in your life by working as hard as you can, you're a little like that hamster, right? You're going to run, 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 and where are you going to go? Nowhere. Ultimately, if that hamster is going to get free, it's going to be me coming along, opening the lid, reaching down and grabbing it, right? And then throwing it in the yard, probably. I don't like hamsters. Um, <laughs> but then it would be really free. Um, <laughs> Until the birds ate it. Um, anyway, <laughs> the, the, the point being, 
as we struggle with sin, as we're crushed by sin, we escape sin because God reaches in and grabs us, right? He reaches in and grabs us through Christ who died for our sins. Who, who literally, it says that God took all of our wickedness and nailed it to the cross in Christ, right? And he poured all his wrath out on it. And our freedom comes in that. If anybody is telling you there's another way, get back on the hamster wheel, that's the way to be free, they're stealing your prize. Because your prize is freedom. And it's freedom through Christ, not through regulation. Not through obedience, not through work, not through nothing. It's through Christ only. Um, and he says, listen, these people are doing it. Um, they're they're convin- convincing you towards self-abasement. Do things that like fasting, for example. Um, or, or sometimes we use tithing that way. You know, like tithe so you can buy your way into heaven. And there are people who preach that way. I, it's crazy, but they do. Um, there are all sorts of things we do. Oh, well, avoid these things. I listened to a sermon from a popular TV preacher who's written quite a few books. And I, I, it's Joel Osteen. Um, where, where he talked about how you needed to not eat pork because it makes God mad at you. <laughs> what? <laughs> and you needed to, I mean, like, and he, he was pitching the dietary stuff. And the dietary stuff, the scriptures talk about not obeying it. Like, hey, throw it away. It's gone now. That was an old part. Now do this. And it's really spelled out, but he was still preaching it. It's not going to save you. Jess isn't here to hear me picking on Joel. Um, <laughs> the The... So these are folks who oftentimes they push people to worship angels. Part of that, well, that's related to the Jewish mystery religions. Um, but there are folks who preach stuff that has nothing to do with Jesus, and they want you to follow things that are not Jesus, right? Um, they talk about their own visions. Um, spend some time watching televangelists, and you will see folks who will preach their own visions and not the scriptures, right? Um, if you're listening to a sermon, if I ever do this, you can beat me up in the parking lot, and Ross won't help me. Um, <laughs> If you ever hear me, like where God told me is what I'm saying and not this is what the scriptures say. Because what folks were doing in this church was they were stepping away from the scriptures and they were preaching their own visions and their own feelings and their own other stuff. I'm not saying that God doesn't give people visions, right? I'm not saying that God doesn't speak to people. What I am saying is that those things fall in line with the scriptures. And when we preach, we preach God's word, right? Because God's word is the core of it all. And if somebody has a vision or 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 a thought, and it contradicts God's word, which one's right? The Bible, right? Like, that's what we go with. Um, and so they, have, they stand on visions that, they, that he has seen, so he's talking about a specific guy, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. The final thing here is, um, as a preacher, anybody who preaches or teaches, we point back to Jesus, not ourselves, not how great we are, right? Um, in is conceit and arrogance and whatnot is a mark of somebody who's preaching outside of the word. Um, we, go on, we go on, and he's continuing to pick on this particular teacher. Um, okay. And a holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Um, the head of the church is Christ, right? So when we hold on to the head, what are we holding on to? Jesus, right? All of our teachings, everything that we do comes from the head. It comes from Christ. And our objective is to become duplicates of that. When the scriptures talk about the head, they're talking about the initial pattern that we're emulating, that everything is growing out of. My call as a believer and your call as a believer is to become like Christ. How do we become like Christ? By growing close to Christ and being indwelt with the Spirit, which changes us, not by trying real hard. 
not by working our way to salvation. We're changed um, by the Spirit in Christ. And so he says, hold on to the head, and you'll grow spiritually. He'll take care of you. He'll fill you up. This is all growth that comes from God. If I can muscle my way up, if the hamster can crawl up the side of the glass cage and get to the top, he's just going to hang there if the top's closed, right? (laughs) There are people who say, I can use my willpower to get this good, but they're still trapped if it's them. Because only Christ saves ultimately. Only God can reach down and pull us out of our pit. Um, We go on. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, and do not touch? So in the previous section, Paul talked about this elemental principle. These are things in the world that God rules, right? There are people who worship stuff in the world. They worship their money. They worship their car. They worship their family. They worship, you know, the rain. Please, please rain. Please, you know. Um, They worship these things that have very little to do with Jesus because Jesus is in charge of all that stuff. And Paul says, listen, all of this stuff, anything that's in the world that is stuff, physical stuff, um, it can't be in charge of you. And ultimately, if you're in Christ, you've died to the world and you're made alive in this new, like, creation, right? Like, Ultimately, it'll be manifested in the resurrection, but at this point, it's just you're made new. Um, And so he says, listen, if you've died with Christ, don't go back to submitting to the world. Don't go back to to living underneath the crushing weight of obedience to the law as a way of being right before God. We obey the law for relationship with God, right? I might date other women and still be married to my wife, but it's going to screw up our relationship, right? (laughs) And she'd kill me, so then we wouldn't be married anymore. But, like, like ultimately, you know, obedience is, like, to God through the law is about relationship once you're in Christ. It's about growing spiritually. It's about not being a slave to sin. Um, and so when he says, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle, what he's talking about is just having new rules for you to follow ain't going to help, right? It's not going to make you new, Um which all refer to things destined to perish with use. So the do not taste, do not touch, do not handle, in the long run, everything around you is going to pass away, right? You are eternal. You will live in heaven or, or in, you know, in God's absence, one or the other. Everyone in this room is eternal. The chairs we're sitting in, this room itself, not eternal, right? Like we call it a sanctuary because this is where we gather to worship, but this room... It'll be gone one day. It will be because Jesus is going to come back. And when Jesus comes back, everything that was old is going to get tossed and a brand new world will be made and it'll be set right. And you and I will see it. We may not enjoy it like it's all about faith in Christ at that point. But he says, listen, any rule that's about the stuff around you as a way to be right before God doesn't make sense because all of this stuff is going to be gone one day in accordance with the commands and the teachings of men, meaning... Don't follow other people's rules to be right with God. If other people are giving you rules to be right with God, you're in trouble. Only Christ is our way to be right with God. Final verse here. These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are, no, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Meaning, if you work really hard, your sin is still going to be there, Right? It just is. Um, the worst thing about dieting is not eating candy. 
Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the fact of the matter is I might eat healthy for a little while. This isn't the time. We'll do it another day. Um, <laughs> inside joke. Um, <laughs> I, I may eat right for six months, but I'm still going to want to eat candy, right? There's a part of me that likes chocolate. Um, ultimately, there's a part of all of us that's, a, like, that's the sinful nature and wants to rebel. And you may live right in little bits and pieces, but that rebellion's still going to be there, right? Um, Paul says, listen, these people give you rules to be free, but freedom is only found in Christ. Um, I'm going to kind of close with an illustration. Harry Houdini, y'all are aware of him? Um, Harry Houdini was, was an escape artist, for those of y'all who have never watched TV or listened to the radio or read anything. Um, Craig. Um, <laughs> Harry Houdini was an escape artist, and he... he uh, would frequently just do insane thing. I, I, I have a picture there where he was put in a straight jacket with locks and chains and everything else, and they lowered him into a river, <laughs> and they left him there, and he escaped from all that stuff and swam out. Um, there, there are um, pictures of him like floating around where they locked him in like giant barrels, and he escaped from them. Um, he bragged that there was never a prison cell made. There is nothing in the world made that he could not escape from. And so there was this, this, this um, prison that came along, and they challenged him. They said, you cannot escape from our prison. And he said, sure enough. And they threw him in the prison, and he, he sat there. And, and he started um, out by, he, he would swallow a little piece of metal. And he regurgitated his little piece of metal, and he would use it to pick the lock. And Harry Houdini was a master lock picker. And so he got out his little lock pick, and he started working at this lock, Right? And about an hour later, he was starting to get a little nervous. And about two hours later, he couldn't get the lock to unlock. And he started to sweat a little bit. And he, he, he took off his shirt. And he's sitting there and, you know, no shirt on and picking the lock and working at it. And frustrated as all get out, like eight hours later, he's not managed to open this lock. And he throws this piece of metal down and he plops down on the floor and leans back against the door. And it was unlocked. Could not pick a lock that was already unlocked. Um, if we work to escape from sin, we're a little like Harry Houdini, right? Trying to, trying to pick the lock to escape a prison that Christ himself has already unlocked us from. How do we use that then? Well, I'm going to tell you, there are folks around you who have struggled with the same sins that you have struggled with, right? Um, for years and years, the treatment of alcohol um, dependence was was very frustrating because, like, nobody could figure out how to fix it, right? Actually, heroin, you guys have heard of heroin, right? Heroin was originally developed as a cure for alcoholism, and they'd, like, give it to alcoholics, and it was like a sure cure. Of course, the problem being that they were heroin addicts, and they didn't know that was going to be the problem. Um, and th there was no way to treat them. And finally, like, if you read the, the AA handbook, like, I, I did a lot of addictions counseling in the past and still do, and, and um, in the AA handbook, they give you the story of how it started. And it was one guy who found Jesus and went to another guy who was a drunk. And he said, I figured out the way out of this. It's Jesus' help. And they started gathering. The first AA meetings were Bible studies. For years, they were Bible studies until the first guy died. And then they did away with that. And it boasted an 89% success rate. The current average for addictions treatment is less than 30%. It is terrible. But the trick is, Christ, before, it worked when Christ was the way out, right? Um, people would gather, and they would find other folks who found Christ and be, became free from their sin. And what would they do? They would help each other, and they would be free, right? God has put people in your lives 
who can help you escape from sin. But it's confession, it's making right, it's living new, right? These are the ways that we escape from sin. I know we're way long today, but I started late. Um, so, so like other people, we have prayer, we have fasting. I believe in fasting, but fasting not to overcome sin, but fasting to become close to God. Um, we have, like God has provided us so many tools, but every one of those tools is about getting closer to him. And when we draw closer to God, sin melts away. That's how you overcome sin in your life. There's a hunger and a desire for Christ more than anything else, and that's where freedom comes from. Um, my challenge to you this week, and we're going to close in prayer. I don't think we're doing a closing song today because um, I'm like 20 minutes past. I'm sorry. Um, we're going to close in prayer, and, and as, as we close in prayer, my challenge to you today is to, to look at your heart and look at your, your life and look where, you know, where do you need freedom? Where do you need to be freed? How can Christ free you now? Um, and do you want it? Because the door is unlocked. All you have to do is go through it. We're going to pray and, and we will um, have lunch, I think. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today uh, um, and as we go out. I pray that you would touch our hearts and our minds um, and help us to um, look to you for freedom, look to you for, for um, restoration, and not turn to, to rules or regulations or or um, ceremonies, or anything else to try and be free, but only to you, to your Son, our Savior. Amen. Uh-huh. Oh, so it's okay that we ran long, because you would have sat in the waiting area of a restaurant all this time anyway. <laughs> Let's go have lunch.